Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. It is incumbent upon us all to watch the words that we say and to turn down the volume of our political rhetoric. Same day voting, all paper ballots. Very simple. They have no problem. I feel that every day I'm dedicating a considerable amount of resources just to give people confidence that they can cast a vote safely. And that is absurd. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective. From D.C.'s top names. Russian aggression does pose an immediate and sharp threat to our interests and values. Nothing more than an effort to brutalize the people of Ukraine. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The Justice Department says it may be illegal voter intimidation. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics as the feds respond to armed groups gathering around drop boxes in the state of Arizona may violate the Federal Voting Rights Act. We'll talk about the impact of vigilante security and how it's being controlled with Bill Gates, chairman of the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors. Later, Russia knocks the lights out across Ukraine in a continued assault on civilians. We'll be joined by another American who's trying to make a difference, former NASA astronaut Scott Kelly, who's now raising money for the war effort as a new ambassador to Ukraine's United 24. And with a week to the election, our signature panel is in place. Bloomberg Politics contributors Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano are here for the hour. The Department of Justice now getting involved in some legal action over groups of people hanging around outdoor ballot drop boxes. You've probably seen videos of them at this point. It's dark out. They're often armed, sometimes wearing tactical gear, Kevlar vests. And they're filming and photographing voters as they drop off their ballots, presumably you know, on the way home from work, and in many cases posting these videos and pictures online. Six cases of alleged voter intimidation at Dropbox locations throughout Arizona have been referred to the Justice Department, which has now filed a statement of interest in a consolidated case brought by the League of Women Voters of Arizona. It says in part, quote, when private citizens form ballot security forces, an attempt to take over the state's legitimate role of overseeing and policing elections, the risk of voter intimidation and violating federal law is significant. We heard from Maricopa County Sheriff Paul Penzone the end of last week. He told reporters, actually, this was just yesterday. He's working with the DOJ now, locals working with feds to identify incidents of intimidation. It's undermining who we are as a nation, and I think that it's um, self-serving in many ways. And, and what do I see now as a sheriff of one of the biggest counties in the nation? I see that every day I'm dedicating a considerable amount of resources just to give people confidence that they can cast a vote safely. And that is absurd. It is absurd. And that's why we're talking about it and joined by someone at the center of this whole story. Bill Gates is chairman of the Republican-led Maricopa County Board of Supervisors. And, Bill, I thank you for joining us today on Bloomberg. Have you had additional reports of incidents at drop boxes the last couple of days? Uh, well, first of all, thanks for having me. Uh, I have not... Um, heard of anything in the last couple of days. I am very grateful to Sheriff Pinzone, who you just had some audio from, yeah. and his work and his team. But as he said, it really is absurd 
that in 2022, in the fourth largest country in the United States of America, we're having to talk about law enforcement mm-hmm. being uh, there, being available to protect people's right to vote. Have you made plans to or have already beefed up security at drop boxes uh, and polling places? I've seen video as well of law enforcement responding, and that's what we're talking about here with Sheriff Penzone, but is there something uh, more deliberate you can do, an architecture you can build with with such little time left? Yeah, so uh, I've been in actually multiple meetings over the past few months with Sheriff Penzone, uh, our county recorder who shares election responsibilities with the Board of Supervisors, and both local law enforcement and federal, our federal law enforcement partners. It's something that we take seriously. And it's something that we continue to look at the best way to structure this to keep everyone safe. Mm-hmm. But it's important to, for people to keep in mind as well that we're not going to turn this into a police state. When people come to the polling places, they shouldn't expect and they will not uh, find that we have uniformed officers everywhere mm-hmm. because right. that that doesn't send the right message either. But trust me, there will be an appropriate Uh, structure put in place to help people to feel comfortable, some uniformed, but a lot of also folks plain clothes and other, uh, uh, you know, we have uh, a lot of live stream cameras, for example, on these drop boxes. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. when people go there, they need to know both being there to vote and then also those that might stand there in the attempt to intimidate folks that we are watching that. So it's safe to say you are monitoring the monitors. We are. Have you considered things like panic buttons, hardening doors and so forth at polling locations? And I realize that's a different matter than outdoor drop boxes. But with the idea of, you know, voting in person next Tuesday, there's another matter to consider there, too. Yeah, again, we have put a structure in place and we've been having these discussions really on a daily basis with the whole team to make people feel comfortable. We it takes three thousand in a counting of our size, 3,000 temporary workers to pull off this election. So we're grateful to those folks. Those people are our family members. They're our neighbors. Uh, they might be, uh, you know, folks that we've worked with in the past. And so we want to make sure that they feel comfortable as well. And, and we're doing that. So, again, I want people to know how much we yeah. appreciate their involvement in this election but also that they're going to be safe. Well, we couldn't do it without them. And, and that's a great concern is that these volunteers are, are being tracked uh, as well here. Uh, are, are you ready to deal with allegations of, of voter fraud? Do you have, you know, a so-called army of lawyers ready? Uh, how is this going to deal with with dealing particularly with these ballots? And, and when does counting begin, Bill? Yeah. So actually, we've already started. We started early last week with the counting of the early ballots that came in. Got it. And so as we will continue to vote, uh, count those early ballots through uh, the through this weekend. And so at 8 p.m. on Tuesday night, we will be reporting hundreds of thousands of votes. These are of the of the early ballots already. Mm-hmm. At the same time, we continue to have people were running early Uh, Voting locations around Maricopa County now will run those through Election Day, of course. So there's still hundreds of thousands of people who are to vote. But to respond to your question of will we be ready to respond to allegations of fraud? Yes. Number one, if there's anything going on uh, that people are aware of, we want to be made aware of it. We're not going to say that there couldn't be uh, some attempts. We know that there are things here and there, maybe 
someone trying to vote, you know, for a, a dead spouse or something, those things go on and we're mm-hmm. going to follow up on those. Mm-hmm. But if there are people who are alleging sy- sy- systemic fraud at Maricopa County, like we experienced in 2020, like was alleged in the so-called uh, cyber ninja audit, uh, <laughs> we will be ready to respond to that as well. And look, you talk about lawyers. We have a county attorney here, Rachel Mitchell and her team, who do incredible work uh, defending what's going on at Maricopa County elections. We're getting sued all the time. Uh, Unfortunately, there's a whole cadre now of people who want to disrupt the election, and they're using these lawsuits, frivolous lawsuits, I would add, as part of that effort. But again, we'll be ready to respond to whatever happens, uh, and we will, once this election is complete, once any sort of uh, allegations have been addressed in the yeah. courts, the important thing is we need each and every candidate in these elections to acknowledge the results and be willing to move <laughs> forward. Obviously, that did not happen in 2020, yeah. but our democracy requires that that happened this time in 2022. I was reading before uh, our conversation about the National Ballot Security Task Force that was organized uh, by Roger Stone back in 1981 to help a New Jersey gubernatorial uh, campaign, a candidate, Tom Keene. And this led to legal action, in fact, that really changed the way Republicans, uh, a consent decree uh, that that essentially forced the Republican Party to operate under a a special set of rules in New Jersey. Could that happen again in Arizona? Well, I certainly hope not. And I have a personal vested interest in this because before I was a member of the Board of Supervisors and then before that, the Phoenix City Council, Mm -hmm. I actually used to work on behalf of the Arizona Republican Party, making sure that there wasn't any fraud going on on Election Day. We followed the law. We worked with other lawyers. We worked with poll observers. This is actually part of the process. What is not a part of the process is, for example, uh, dressing up in military gear outside of drop boxes, trying to intimidate voters. What's also not part of the process is once all of the legal battles have been completed, continuing to allege fraud, Mm -hmm. continuing to allege that the election was rigged. Like I said, here in Arizona, two years after the 2020 election. We are literally defending what our good people did in the 2020 election every day here in Maricopa County. Uh, And unfortunately, a lot of that is coming from the leaders of my party as a Republican. But we'll continue to do that. I will defend what happened in 2020, and I will respond to allegations of fraud as long as I have to, because there's nothing more important I've ever worked on as an elected official in trying to defend this democratic Republic in our election system. Bill, I you've been out there speaking. I saw you recently on 60 minutes. I have to ask you what the personal impact has been on you uh, talking openly about this threats against your team threats against your family. Are you safe? We are safe. Thank you for asking again. We've got a great team here in Maricopa County, but it's been hard. I'm a lifelong Republican. Like I said, you know, I've I've been I've been a good soldier for the Republican Party. And now that I've been speaking out about the truth, uh, I've been censured by members of the Arizona Republican Party 
A lot of people call me a rhino, you know, a Republican in name only. They call me a traitor and my colleague traitors. Again, just because we're telling the truth. But we'll keep doing what we've been doing because we know that that we're doing the right thing. And again, if there are things that are are being done that are wrong with this election. I know you'll point them uh, out. Bill, I'm delighted you could come on with us. Stay safe. And thank you for talking with us. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. As they continue counting early votes in Arizona, as we just discussed with the chair of the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors, we are reminded that it is not a coincidence we're seeing vigilante ballot watchers gather around drop boxes not only in Arizona but in other states. They've been encouraged to do so for months. Look at France. They're having an election. You know what they do? Same-day voting, all paper ballots. Very simple. They have no problem. And that's what we have to get to. We can't have these elections that go for 48 days. That was in April in Ohio. Donald Trump, of course, and that's a refrain we have heard since before the 20 elections. Listen to Arizona gubernatorial candidate nominee Carrie Lake, right? Same thing. Never said she, she told John Carl on ABC recently. Doesn't say election month in the Constitution. It's called election day. And so there's a lot of confusion around here. God, I breathe a word about this. The Twitter blows up, I'll tell you that. And so we assemble the panel. They know about these things. Rick Davis and G.D. Shanzano are Bloomberg Politics contributors and our signature panel here. Rick, no one knows Arizona politics better than you. And you hear about a longtime Republican like Bill Gates uh, being threatened, of course, for doing his job. And you wonder how this is going to end. Not everybody's going to be settled with this on Tuesday. God, we won't even know the outcome of most of these races on Tuesday. Well, <clears throat> we probably will in Arizona only because they're so efficient at what they do. And I, I'm so glad you had Bill on. I worked with him when he was in the state party to ensure you know, ballot security. Uh, mm-hmm. And look, every campaign has a ballot security operation. Lawyers you know, who are on call uh, or even in you know, polling places uh, in precincts where there might be some problems to lend a hand. Poll watchers who volunteer to do their civic duty and go into the polls. Uh, all this is really healthy for the uh, for the American democracy. Uh, what what is amazing is that armed vigilantes are able to run off voters. And believe me, they're running mm-hmm. off voters. They're yeah, only right. there to run off voters. And and in the past, when we've seen this in campaign activity, it gets called out. Sure. And the federal judges who uh, administer these elections, federal elections. Uh, are are usually sharp to to slap them across the the knuckles, um, and I'm a little surprised that nothing like that's happened so far in Arizona. Yeah, got to be honest, Jeannie. Uh, you know, it's dark out. You're on your way home from work. Uh, presumably, maybe you're on your way in. You you do the overnight shift. If I got out of my car and saw like a bunch of pickup trucks with dudes with their faces covered, armed, I'm pretty sure I'd leave. How about you? 
Yeah, that's right. And and some of these cases, these complaints that have been filed, you have, you know, a couple in one case who said that they the people were armed, they were dressed in military gear, they were filming them, following them, yeah. and then recording faces their license covered. plates numbers, their that's faces right. covered. And of course, it's illegal to film within 75 feet of a pole in Arizona. But I think, you know, the reality of this is the genesis of all of this. This is happening because you have leaders and you just played some of them like Donald Donald Trump and like Carrie Lake and others, Mark Fincham, who have been going around and saying because Donald Trump lost the 2020 election in Arizona by 10,000 points, it had to be because voters had improperly cast ballots. And so this false claim of casting ballots in these ballot boxes is what is sort of the genesis of all of this. And that's why you got these vigilante groups going around. And as you mentioned, it's not just Arizona. Uh, you know, Arizona, as he talked about, they're going to start counting votes they were already started counting votes. But look at Pennsylvania, where this is also going yeah. on. They don't start counting until Election Day. Right. So <laughs> we are that's looking at... That's going to be a shock to everyone on Election Day. We could be 100 years old before we know the results <laughs> of this election. <laughs> we're going to feel like it, uh, at least. Are they doing enough, Rick, though, to your point, uh, of enforcing the law around these drop boxes? Do they need more security? They're clearly trying to, to, to be careful, to Bill Gates's point, to not turn these you know, in, in, into police state uh, polling places. Yeah, look, I mean, the, the drop box is a relatively recent phenomenon, right? I mean, there really weren't drop boxes around uh, prior to COVID. Uh, people dropped off their ballots at, you know, their county um, uh, administrative offices right. and in some cases even near their precincts. Um, and, 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 and Jeannie's right. There are rules that are governed those places. Those same rules may or may not apply to these drop boxes that are in, you know, all kinds of different places, usually parking lots and, you know, uh, uh, shopping centers, right. which there are a plethora of in Arizona. And and so um, the reality is a lot of this is untested. But I would say one thing. Um, these are not just some vigilante groups that have gotten together and said, oh, we're going to do this on your own. That's incredibly difficult to do. It is highly likely that six months from now we'll be reading about another investigation huh that these things were coordinated, that they were part of a strategy to intimidate voters, and it all be after the fact. Uh, nationally coordinated. I mean, look, somebody has a vested interest in seeing this happen, and nine times out of ten, it's not some local vigilante group. Yeah, right. So who's behind this, Jeannie? Well, it's hard to know, and I think Rick is right. We're going to, hopefully, we do find out. Intelligence assessments have focused on China, for instance, seeking to influence several elections here, and you don't just you want to name China. It can be other, it can be domestic groups. You know, this is power at work, and let's not forget the result of this. More than 60% of U.S. jurisdictions have election deniers on the ballot. That's over right. 300 people. Those people, at least a substantial number, will be running our elections in 2024 in many across many parts of our country and that is a scary proposition and this is the first time this cycle that the doj has entered an ongoing case involving drop boxes like this sounds like they're going to be more rick and Jeannie are here for the hour this is the fastest hour in politics sound on i'm joe matthew in washington we bring in scott kelly next yeah that's scott kelly the astronaut as we turn to ukraine this is bloomberg the situation in ukraine is grim 80%, more than 80% of Kyiv. There's no running water right now. 350,000 apartments lost power, according to the mayor. Still no water supply, about 40% uh, at this point. 
for instance, Russian missiles and drones damaging infrastructure in 10 regions of Ukraine, hundreds of locations without power. And we're watching the capital of Kiev just bathed in darkness. It's a very eerie thing to consider here. And some U.S. military personnel are apparently now operating inside Ukraine. We're going to get to that in a moment. Ned Price, spokesman for the State Department, says Vladimir Putin continues to target civilians. We've all seen a number of uh, strikes and uh, bombardments that appear to be nothing more than an effort to brutalize uh, the people of Ukraine. And as we discussed on this program, there's going to be some changes coming, most likely, uh, in the form of the House leadership. If Kevin McCarthy gets his way and, in fact, becomes speaker, he says no more blank checks. And we've heard questions uh, from progressives on the left as well about how much we should be spending, although the This infamous letter was withdrawn. This is going to be a concerted debate as we move beyond the midterms and towards the 2024 election. That's why, remember, we talked to Mark Hamill, and now look at this. He doesn't just play one. He is an astronaut. Scott Kelly, former NASA astronaut, retired U.S. Navy captain, is now one of the newest ambassadors to United24. This is the fundraising platform put forth by President Volodymyr Zelensky. Captain Kelly, it's great to have you with us here on Bloomberg. I appreciate the time today very much. What did President Zelensky tell you when you spoke with him? Well, the first thing he just said is he, you know, officially asked me if I would be part of this uh, fundraising platform. And, of course, you know, I agreed. I'm a big supporter of uh, Ukraine. I have uh, Ukrainian family members, Ukrainian uh, friends, and uh, you know all of those people are suffering in, in different ways. And I think we we all need to do whatever we can to support Ukraine because I think in the end we're really just supporting democracy and um, and freedom. Uh, even though you know this is a, a war currently in Europe, yeah. uh, it doesn't mean that it's going to get uh, get better if we uh, don't do whatever we can to help. So how do you get the word out beyond conversations like this one, Captain? How do you help President Zelensky raise the cash and get the hardware he needs? Yeah, well, I think, uh, you know, certainly social media is important, but also, you know, normal, regular media like this and and just people, you know, passing the word that uh, this is a really important cause. My my, uh, area that I'm working on is is medical supplies, particularly ambulances. Okay. Uh, the Russians destroy, you know, 10 a week uh, or they steal them. So, um, you know, now, like you just mentioned, you know, they're not only uh, because they're losing on the battlefield, they're now taking revenge on innocent civilians, including on their medical infrastructure. Well, this is this is fantastic. And are you you're raising money specifically for ambulances? Is it like the drone program? where they would actually uh, accept donations of ambulances themselves? Or are European nations helping on that front, too? You know, I think that, uh, you know, people have reached out to me with saying that, hey, I have an ambulance I'd like yeah. to donate. Um, so I, I need to figure that out some more, <laughs> okay. uh, whether that's viable. But currently, uh, is it's to raise money to purchase ambulances Got it. that will be then used in Ukraine. Are you worried about funding here in the u.s drying up because of politics funding for what for ukraine you know this was this has been essentially a blank check if i can use that term and it looks like it's going to be a harder case to make for the president yeah i mean it's uh you know certainly i think anywhere we spend our money uh is uh you know needs to be scrutinized especially when it's this amount but 
I think if you look at the the facts here, that this is a worthy cause, and you know, I I feel like we need to be putting in whatever we can within our means, of course, but within our whatever we can to defeat Russia, because I do think this is a existential threat to the you know the rest of the free world. Well, Captain, you must feel pulled in two different directions here. Uh, obviously, as a, as a retired Navy captain, a former fighter pilot, uh, you've got a certain feeling about this as well. But you were a NASA astronaut who shared space with Russian cosmonauts. And I wonder how you rationalize that as we try to figure out our future in space. That's a whole different idea here, divorcing uh, Russia and our project for the International Space Station. Uh, do you feel like your hand is being forced in that direction? You know, it's a it's a tough question uh, whether you know Russia should stay a part of the International Space Station program. I you know it's really complicated for them to leave. Having said that, I think we're at the point where we might just show them the door. Uh, obviously, that's my personal opinion. It's not uh, anything I've gotten officially from NASA or anywhere anyone else. Yes, right. but I would say that for future programs, you know, without a change of you know leadership in Russia. Um, that is more in line with, you know, Western values on, you know, freedom and democracy. Right. I don't see them participating in any, anything ever again with, with us. And you've had wonderful working relationships uh, with Russians in the space program, haven't you? Yeah, I have some, you know, some great Russian friends in the space program. Some are cosmonauts, some are, you know, engineers, uh, administrative personnel that I know. I mean, I know a lot of Russian people and uh, a lot of them are you know, exactly in line with my thinking. And I think on most uh, free people's thinking on this. And then there are some others that it's just shocking how, uh, you know, the Russian propaganda that they've been exposed to for, you know, decades has just, you know, altered their ability to, to, you know, think rationally on this idea. I mean, I had one cosmonaut tell me that, you know, he is absolutely convinced that the Nazis and NATO we're going to are we're imminently going to invade Russia, and this is the only way they could defend themselves, which is wow. absolutely absurd. That's and a pretty is a, smart you know, person for thinking a, this. Yeah, right. Supposed to be. I mean, it's just pretty amazing to think about. Five hundred thousand dollars, Captain Kelly, you raised by launching uh, an NFT to support Ukraine. You've been at this for a while. Yeah, I've been at this from from the very beginning. Like I said, you know, I have a niece and nephew that are Ukrainian Americans. Their dad, my uh, brother-in-law, was born in Kharkiv. You know, a place that is currently, you know, uh, you know, really a focal point of this war right now. And um, yeah, so this is an issue that I took to heart right away. I I saw it as you know, with Russia starting a war in Europe, unprovoked that this was uh, an issue that we should all get uh, get behind helping Ukraine. And I had a platform to do it because I had, you know, between, you know, Twitter followers and, and exposure in, in Russia and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and in Ukraine a little bit. My, uh, you know, I wrote a book that was translated into Russian, so I'm somewhat oh. of a known figure there. Yeah. And I have the ability to tweet in Russian at the Russian people and try to, show them what the reality of this is. So I, I, I took it, I've taken it very seriously from the very beginning. Well, you've actually, you've been a notorious troll uh, on social media for some <laughs> Russians. So you kind of spooked off the platform. Yeah, I don't know if I call it a troll. 
the, the, well, you know, know maybe the noun uh, uh, version is that yeah. you were trolling, Captain, is what I want to yeah. say. You know, my first trolling ever, if that's what you want to call it, I would maybe, <laughs> maybe refer to it as like social media warrior. I, I like that. <laughs> it's it's consistent consistent with it. your resume. Yeah. Who, who are you spooking yeah, so, off of uh, Twitter next? Oh, I, I'm not targeting anyone in specific. The reason I, you know, went after the head of Roscosmos, the Russian space agency, is because he threatened to leave an American crew member behind that he was responsible for. And I was just absolutely shocked. So, you know, I went at him in his own language in ways that he could, um, you know, ways that he can understand um, with language that would get his attention. And um, I think it may have worked. <laughs> it appears to have. You talk to your brother about this when it comes to war funding. Obviously, the senator from Arizona. Uh, you both have a platform, Captain Kelly. Yeah, you know, I have not talk to him specifically about like you know government policy yeah or legisl- legislation i mean i think he's certainly aware of of my stance and i understand that he's a you know a big supporter of freedom and democracy and supports ukraine so yeah but i haven't gotten into any specifics like you know hey you should vote for this or that he probably mm-hmm. wouldn't listen to me anyway yeah i'm not so sure about that <laughs> i think you have a few things in common uh, including uh, your biology. But look, in, in terms of President Zelensky, he's been asking Washington to help close the skies. That that was the refrain when he addressed uh, the joint session of Congress. There was a time when he was begging for fighter jets. You're a former fighter pilot. Would they actually make a difference? Well, that's a good that's a good question, you know, because right now, and it's my understanding that Russia does not control the skies of Ukraine. So, hmm. You know, on one hand, I, I think it would it would be helpful and make a difference. I'm not sure how much of a difference it would make. Having said that, I think, you know, anti-missile uh, systems would be really helpful because they're getting, you know, having, you know, cruise missiles and other, you know, things that, you know, that could be countered with, uh, you know, some existing systems out there. So whether, you know, airplanes are really required and how, you know, giving Ukraine a bunch of F-16s or something, would, would that be helpful? Sure, I think it would be helpful. Would it make a huge difference? I'm not probably, um, hmm. I probably don't know the, 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 the details there with the air war enough to really, yeah. really comment on that. Well, everybody likes to talk like an expert, and you actually are one, though. It sounds like it's more complicated than <laughs> a lot of people are making it out to be. Yeah, I think just giving giving a country a bunch of airplanes when yeah. the you know when the the airspace is not dominated by Russia right now is uh, I think something that really has to be studied and and what it does to escalate the the situation or not. Well, I want to congratulate you and thank you for the work that you're doing in the service uh, that you've provided not only our country but now the the people of Ukraine. It's admirable, and Captain, we thank you for being here on Bloomberg. Appreciate Captain that. Scott Thank Kelly, you for your time. by all means, flew over eight thousand hours in more than forty aircraft, two hundred and fifty carrier landings in his naval career. I know people refer to him as an astronaut. He spent more time in space than Luke Skywalker. This guy was a Tomcat pilot. Anybody who puts an airplane down on the deck of an aircraft carrier in the rain at night has my respect. By the way, no one who flew an F fourteen should ever be called a troll. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, 
A thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Get your ambulances ready. I know he's going to figure out a way to take a donated ambulance, maybe a, a barge full overseas. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. This is Bloomberg Sound on the fastest hour in politics with the best panel in the business. Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are back with us now. Of course, our signature panel. Uh, I mentioned a bit earlier here, some U.S. military personnel. I'm amazed this is not making a bigger headline. U.S. military personnel now operating inside Ukraine. I thought that was never going to happen. Didn't we say that? As part of a team of weapons inspectors that are helping Ukrainians uh, operate, you know, these very sophisticated systems that we are providing. Brigadier General Pat Ryder, speaking for the Pentagon. My understanding is they would be well, uh, well far away from any type of frontline actions. Um, we are relying on the Ukrainians to do that. We're relying on other partners to do that. So away from the front lines. But we're in Ukraine. Having had a fit over Iranians doing similar work in Russian-occupied areas of Ukraine. Jeannie, isn't this what Joe Biden said would never happen? Could this not threaten a direct conflict with U.S. forces? Well, you know, anything could threaten that. And I think that is a real concern, obviously. But of course, what are they doing there? They are helping the Ukrainian military utilize their training and helping them utilize this equipment properly that we are providing. I mean, it would make little sense if we were providing this much equipment, you know, and just sort of leaving them to their own devices. So, mm -hmm. you know, I know that that's what the administration is hoping that yeah. Putin sees as, as a difference. But, you know, there's there's no guarantees on that. And, um, you know, we obviously aren't facing them on the ground in a battle directly in that way. Sure. But it's, you know, we're in the zone here. And the idea was that we would never we were pulling Ukrainians out of country to train them on these weapon systems uh, in Poland and Romania. Now we're just going in, Rick. Uh, maybe, maybe we should have done this all along. But doesn't this seem significant? You know, I think it's significant because anytime you have our personnel in the country of the Ukraine uh, with Vladimir Putin lobbing missiles right and left at mm -hmm. civilian targets, they run the risk of of being injured or killed. So, sure, um, uh, I think I think that's that's obviously a news item. I, I think it's naive to think that we hmm. are now giving them very sophisticated weapons, unlike the right. ones that I think Jeannie was referring to, where you know they're basically Russian retreads that we could move these guys to Poland from Ukraine, teach mm -hmm. them how to use it, and then send them back in. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it would it, it normally takes six months for U.S. personnel to learn how to use these systems, and that's not in a battle zone. Yes, right. So I, I, I think it makes sense. It just, you know, it does change the complexity of the war. But this is a war that I think, you know, you have to be prepared for a lot of complexity as this thing goes on, because this this is not the way anybody would have written the script, you know, at the start of this war. Would you bet that there are CIA uh, operatives working in the country or uh, ununiformed military operatives who are, you know, maybe closer to the front lines, Rick, or in Kiev? I hope our intelligence agencies are doing everything they can to support the war effort on behalf of the Ukrainians. 
we've got a diplomatic corps there. Of course, we have to protect them, Jeannie, but that's a little bit different uh, from what we're talking about. You've got to believe U.S. intelligence is on the ground there, right? Yeah, yeah, you have to believe that, you know, and the intelligence has really won the day for Ukraine, the United States, NATO, all of the countries together have done a really amazing job in that arena. So they they must be there. To your point, though, there is always the risk of escalation. I mean, if, you know, as Rick said, some U.S. soldier, some military official, you know, an intelligence operative, somebody is killed, that could lead to an escalation. And that Mm -hmm. is always the fear. That's always the danger. We wanted to keep this a proxy war, but there's only so long you could do this with $60 billion going over there. It's not going to last. Well, I'll tell you, uh, it sure doesn't look like it's getting a lot better when you see Kiev with the lights out again here, no water. This is getting to feel desperate for a lot of civilians in Ukraine. You guys have access to an ambulance? Can help out Captain Kelly? What do you think, Rick? I I want to volunteer to be an ambulance driver for Captain Kelly. I mean, you know, that would be a lot. That's a commitment. But, yeah, I'm going to go start calling everybody I know in the hospital business and see if they got some spares. I love that. We know you have the resources here uh, and the connections, Rick. You know, talking about Russia and, and our partnership in space, that's pretty stark when Scott Kelly, of all people, Jeannie, says that the marriage is over. That's right. That really was a stunning statement on his part. And, and you are so right. You know, I, I would be nervous to call him a troll or trolling Joe Matthew because Jeez. he's a really tough guy. Yeah, um, no, <laughs> but looking at his Twitter feed, it is quite remarkable what he says. You know, yeah, he, he calls Putin a murderer, a thief, yeah. a war criminal, a kidnapper. So, you know, but then to hear him say that the relationship with the United States and Russia, at least as far as he's concerned and what he would hope would happen is over is a stunning statement from somebody who's devoted his life to cooperation in space and and you know to hear that this is where we are today yeah. speaks volumes about what has happened in just six months this is someone who has uh, had an opportunity to look at the earth uh, from space just a perspective most of us will never have a worldview literally that we'll never have and he did it for longer I mean he's a record holder his last mission his final mission aboard the ISS was 340 days as they were, you know, experimenting on uh, the impact of ex- the extended exposure on the human body. Uh, we're done with Russia in space, Rick, right? That's not a relationship you're going to rebuild. Yeah, I mean, I thought his comments were really striking. Uh, here's a guy who uh, has served with Russians, knows yep. the language, knows the people, understands the culture. And for him to sort of slam the door, as he described, uh, on Remarkable. that relationship, especially in the one area that you thought could survive cooperation is in outer space, um, I think is one of the most telling things I've heard on this program in quite some time. It's remarkable. Well, we thank the captain again for being with us. And thank you, Matt, for introducing us here on Bloomberg Sound On. One of the other stories popping today, I have to ask you both about it because, my God, they just keep coming. Brings us back to Georgia. Jane Doe speaks, in this case, to ABC News. Gloria Allred at her side. This is the second woman to accuse, of course, Herschel Walker, the Republican uh, Senate nominee, of uh, paying for and what she describes as forcing her essentially to have an abortion, in her own words today. He did not want me to have the child. And he said that... He said that because of his wife's family and powerful people 
around him that I would not be safe and that the child would not be safe. That's very menacing. It is very menacing. It is very menacing. But Rick Davis, it doesn't matter, right? Look, all this stuff is a compilation of who uh, Herschel Walker is. That you, you can't ignore the noise in the system. Uh, it's it it may be too little, too late. Um, uh, but then again, this campaign. I mean, the thing we have to remember about Georgia, right, is that if neither one of these guys get fifty one percent, they're in for a runoff for another month. And so this kind of news could have an impact. You know, thirty days from now. Uh, whether or not it can impact the election tomorrow is is a question, uh, but but certainly these kinds of things, as they prove themselves out, and they mm-hmm. either they either you know become fact or they fly in the face and become fiction. Um, uh, this could haunt him. Republicans really haven't blinked at this one, Jeannie. And listen to Herschel Walker today, turning back on. He's been on the attack lately. Well, yesterday it was Barack Obama. Now it's of course his opponent. Senator Raphael Warnock. Remember, he even told us he had a dog. That dog didn't even belong to him. He was fooling us then. And I wonder, where is that dog at today? That dog probably saying, oh, no, that same thing he said. That's the same thing he said during the debate. During the debate, he became Scooby-Doo. Cause if you can remember this, they asked him, they asked him, they said, will you support Joe Biden for a 2024 run? And he went, oh, no. This is like, okay, I got you now. It's like live at the improv with Herschel Walker. By the way, that's a pretty good, that was a pretty good Scooby-Doo, I have to say. Uh, Jeannie, is this uh, the way to go? You know, I, it ha- you, you had me there, Joe Matthew, because I was trying to figure out where is this possibly going? And, <laughs> and, and, and now I got it. Yeah. Um, it took a while. You know, <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a race that's, you know, 1.6. It's within the margin of error. As Rick mentioned, it's probably going to go to a runoff. He, you know, has been going on the offensive, trying to certainly not, you know, not discuss these issues because, of course, he is somebody who has supported abortion bans without exceptions. And he has denied these allegations. And this woman today decided to show her face. Whether it makes a difference, I'm not sure. But let's not forget, every vote is going to count in this race. It's going to be incredibly close. And so for that reason... These types of issues may play to a certain extent. Absolutely incredible. Uh, but I think Rick is on to something there. Just wait for the runoff. That is when this really might start to have an impact. Because, boy, until then, it's too close to call. And on this day after Halloween, how perfect that we're brought back with the help of Herschel Walker to the classic Scoob. Zoinks! That's it. For Sound On, Rick and Jeannie, thank you. As we leave you with a little underscore here. I'll meet you back here tomorrow with, of course, our signature panel and a lot more to talk about as Barack Obama gets back on the trail. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.